Brothers and sisters, in connection with Lord's Day 49, I'd like to read to you from God's Word. First, from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 28. After that, from Philippians 1, or 3, verse 1 to 14, and then Belgian Confession, Article 12. First, Matthew 16, starting at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his, his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's now turn to Paul's letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, starting at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, And is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh? I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So far, reading from God's Word. also like to invite you to read with me from the Belgic Confession, summary of God's Word, in particular Article 12, the creation of all things and especially the angels. read as follows, that's on page 503. We believe that the Father, through the Word, that is, through His Son, has created out of nothing heaven and earth and all creatures when it seemed good to Him, and that He has given to every creature its being, shape, and form, and to each its specific task and function to serve its Creator. We believe that he also continues to sustain and govern them according to his eternal providence and by his infinite power in order to serve man to the end that man may serve his God. He also created the angels good to be his messengers and to serve his elect. Some of these have fallen from the exalted position in which God created them into everlasting perdition. But the others have, by the grace of God, remained steadfast and continued in their first state. The devils and evil spirits are so depraved that they are enemies of God and of all that is good. With all their might, they lie in wait like murderers to ruin the church and all its members and to destroy everything by their wicked devices. They are therefore by their own wickedness sentenced to eternal damnation and daily expect their horrible torments. Therefore we detest and reject the error of the Sadducees who deny that there are any spirits and angels. And also the error of the Manichees who say that the devils were not created but have their origin of themselves and that without having become corrupted they are wicked by their own nature. So far, our confession, Article 12. We've come up to Lord's Day 49. Let's read that together, page 562 of the, in the Book of Praise. Lord's Day 49, question answer 124. What is the third petition? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we 
and all men may deny our own will and without any murmuring obey your will, for it alone is good. Grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. So far, Lord's Day 49. response to the preaching, we'll sing Psalm 40, stanzas 3 and 4. Oh God, do, do your will is my desire. Congregation of Jesus Christ, brothers, sisters, young and old, I read in a recent news article that there are currently just over 8 billion people on this earth. And if you think about it, all these people, even the Christians among them, they commit billions of sins each day, each night, against God and their neighbors. None adhere fully to God's will. Let this sink in, brothers and sisters. And consider this thought for a moment. Do we realize how much sin and unwillingness that is? How does our Lord experience this? Billions of times people are transgressing God's will. And one could ask, how is it even possible for God's good will to be done on this earth? What is the point of even praying it? Our Father in heaven, your will be done. This is not like mopping a kitchen floor with a tap full open. Water everywhere. How could the will of God ever be done on earth? Perhaps still in heaven, but on earth? Is this not, humanly speaking, impossible? Indeed, humanly speaking, it is impossible. And and humanly speaking, it, it has no use to pray that the Lord's will be done with 8 billion people committing sins all the time. But brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus Christ did not teach us the third petition in vain. He didn't say, well, you know, you can pray this third petition, but it's maybe a bit ambitious to ask the Father because for His will to be done, On earth, that will never succeed. No. Our Lord Jesus taught us to pray in faith, expecting God's good will to be done on earth, as it is done in heaven. And in this, we should not take our feasibility measures as as a starting point, whether it's going to happen or not. 
Now, we are talking, brothers and sisters, about God's will. And then we must also begin with God, and particularly with the Lord Jesus. He preceded us in doing God's will. And at the same time, He shows us the way in doing God's will. I think we can say that praying the third petition is all about following Jesus Christ. That's why I proclaim to you the gospel as we confess in Lord's Day 49 under the following heading. Our prayer for obedience to God's will implies following Jesus Christ. We see first God's will in our Savior, second God's will in our cross, and third God's will and the angels. So our focus this afternoon, our prayer for obedience to God's will implies following Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, do you follow Christ? You know, in the prayer before baptism, we always pray that this, he or she, this baby, following Jesus day by day, may joyfully bear his or her cross and cleave to him in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love. And this prayer has been prayed for all of us, each one who had been baptized. And it's a beautiful prayer. But often challenging to, to make tangible, to make concrete in our lives. You know, to be followers of Christ, is, it's a much-known biblical expression, but, but it can become something abstract, something we say. But how do I follow Jesus Christ, the Messiah? How do we, here in Manijong, how do we go after Jesus Christ? Well, it's good to, to look at Jesus' words in Matthew 16. He calls his disciples, saying to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And saying this, Jesus wants, wants them to join him, like one joins a leader or, or a teacher. And in Jesus' day, it was, was the custom for students to join, to follow a certain teacher, rabbi. And this was not a, a temporary commitment. It was often a choice for life. And then one would willingly accept the authority and the guidance of the rabbi whom you are following. Like Paul, he joined and he followed Rabbi Gamaliel before his conversion. Paul says that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel in Acts 22 verse 3. And such a student was often called the son of that rabbi. They had a father-son relationship. And so when Jesus, in, in Matthew 16, reflects on someone joining, following him, he meant someone who willingly submits to him and accept his guidance in everything, to, to be a son to him, to deny his own will and without murmuring obey his master or his rabbi's will. Now, thinking about it, it, it might sound quite inviting to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Who would not f want to f go after a rabbi who heals the lame and, and blind and mute and, and deaf people? Who would not join a rabbi causing people to walk around and praise him? 
Who would not like to be taught by a rabbi who gives rest to all who are weary and burdened? And we, we can also imagine that it was quite appealing to join such a powerful man, Jesus of Nazareth, who seems to be busy establishing his, his earthly kingdom, or kingdom to, the, kingdom to the benefit of the Jewish nation. And that's why many of his followers thought and expected of, of the Lord Jesus that he will deliver them from Roman oppression and establish a glorious Jewish kingdom on earth. The beautiful future will be given to his followers. A life on earth, endless joy and, and glory. And then Matthew 16 Jesus shatters their dreams, and in particular those of his, of his disciples. Because when, when Peter made this beautiful confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the promised Messianic King. Jesus immediately starts talking about his suffering and about his death on the cross. And he wants to make it clear to his disciples that the consequences are for him as ordinary, extraordinary rabbi, rabbi to, to fulfill the call of the Messiah. And he would have to give his life as a ransom to serve in this way. And a ransom for many. He will die as the lamb for the sins of all people. That's how Jesus dealt with the will of the Father for his earthly life. He also prayed the third petition. And he perfectly fulfilled his office and calling. His obedience to the will of the Father had to be perfect, and it was. He did not come, congregation, to, to this world to accept his fate kind of passively. He did not come just to be crucified. Now he came in, in obedience to give his life voluntary as a sacrifice to each of the billions of sins that are committed every day. After his messianic ordination at, at the River Jordan, he consciously did what he was asked of. He has always kept the way open for, for himself, the way of suffering towards glory. One can ask, how did Jesus know what God wanted for his life? The fact that he was the Son of God didn't mean that he wasn't learning as he matured, as he grew up. How did he manage to perform the duties of his office and the calling willingly and faithfully? Well, he read his Bible. He listened to the preaching in the synagogues. The scriptures, God's will in the Old Testament, contained the description of his earthly ministry. That's how he knew how to faithfully do his father's will. He never said to the father, oh, you know, today I don't, I don't feel like doing this or that. Or, you know, I don't have the time to execute my office. My, my gym is too busy. No, our Savior, with zeal and diligence, faithfully performed his duties. Every day he preached to the people. He healed the sick, even raised the dead. 
He never performed his duties reluctantly. In fact, he once said, It is my food to do the will of my heavenly Father. And unlike the first Adam, he did not want to do his own will. Yes, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. In congregation, even, even when the Father abandoned him on the cross, he submitted and conformed himself to the Father's will. And he, he would continue to do this until his last words. It is finished. So this is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, fulfilling the third petition. And therefore God justified his Son. As Jesus spoke in Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father. Brothers and sisters, this is of course not only nice to see how the Lord Jesus did the will of the Father. It's not only something to, to stand in awe about. And now is the calling for you and me and every sinful person on this planet to, to put himself or herself under the kingship and the reign of the Father and of His Son. To do the will of the Father as faithful as our Savior did. To be ready to give account of every thought, word, and action in our lives. Because each, each one of us, says verse 27b, will be rewarded by the Father according to His works on the last day. And only those who confess Jesus as their Savior and followed Him will be saved. This is what Jesus taught us. That's why He wants us to pray the third petition. And how do you, how do you follow our Savior? Well, start with, with praying the third petition. Father, let your will be done. Help us to, to carry our cross. This brings us to the second point, God's will and our cross. Rabbi Jesus calls those who desire to, to, to follow him to take up their crosses. But what does it mean to take up your cross? As you know, cross is a sign of God's wrath. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, says Deuteronomy 21-23. So it's an awful form of corporal punishment, death penalty. And it is quite significant that Christ in Matthew 16, for the first time, spoke about the cross. When asked about his own suffering before, he didn't mention the cross. But now, this particular point in his ministry, he openly mentions the cross as the humiliating fate for those, for himself, but also for those who would follow him. He will be crucified. And, and this, this is quite a shock for the disciples. They, they were acquainted with this horrifying way of dying. Following Jesus doesn't mean crucifixion. For us, yes. 
For the student is not more than his master. Of course, it doesn't mean that, that as disciples of the Lord, we must redo or imitate Christ's suffering by, by hanging on a, on a physical cross or crucifying ourselves, as, as sometimes happens in certain South American countries. That we can't. And this is in all of history, there's only one space for one true sacrifice. And, and Jesus brought the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. It also doesn't mean that we must bear our cross by, by accepting all kinds of physical or, or, or mental difficulties. Now we all know the expression, every house has got his cross. This means every family has its own difficulties. But this is not what Jesus meant. The cross is not all the misfortunes believers and unbelievers encounter. Unbelievers or non-believers also know about illness and adversity. But they... They did not know anything about the cross Christ was was talking about. And so the cross that Jesus mentions only belonged to the followers of Christ. What is it? Well, it sees the suffering that a person has to endure due to his position before Christ and the Father. It is it's a matter of suffering. For Christ's sake. It's a matter of obedience to Him. To do His Father's will without murmuring. Whatever the consequences of doing God's will might be. And so the, this cross congregation consists in, in, in the consequences of, of choices that we make. Choices we made in good faith. And these are not always easy choices. For they are made in, in hostile territory. As Christ himself was the target of Satan's attacks and the hatred of the world, so also Christ's disciples can count on the same attacks and hatred when they need to make choices. And in, in, in doing God's will, in faith, in following Christ, we will experience hardship, hate, enmity. There's no escape from it. Following Christ... Taking up your cross means to enter into battle with our threefold enemy. And, and it's not a passive thing. It's not just throwing your hands up, so, oh, can't do anything about it. No, important choices and faithful actions are, are consciously and, and, and actively made. After all, Jesus says we must take up our cross. And here he alludes to the custom of, of a condemned person to, to carry his cross. Like Jesus carried the cross, his own cross, until Simon of Cyrene was ordered to carry it for him. And so Jesus says we must consciously take up the cross ourselves. This battle against our threefold enemy. This is something different than, than, than willingly or unwillingly submit to the inevitable. It is wanting to accept the consequences of following Christ. And that's not a small thing, let alone doing it cheerfully as we confess. This has consequences. Taking up my cross, fighting my threefold enemies can imply that I lose my friends. Or lose money. Or even my job in obedience to God. It could mean 
persecution, imprisonment, even death. Whatever the case, we must be willing to even die for Christ. Willing to give up our, our earthly ambitions, happiness, prosperity for Him, for the sake of following our Savior. And it also means that, that our self-centered lives with its sinful lusts must be nailed to the cross. It means that God's will, His word is will be the all and only authority for every aspect of our lives. It's not, not my life fulfillment, but the will of God that's most important to me. My desires, my preferences, my plans become subject to the Lord's will, to His Word. The way I, I spend my leisure time, the amount of alcohol I drink every Friday or Saturday... Um, the, the, the computer games and, and the websites that I um, visit or what I need to avoid. It's not, it's not I who determines that. It's God's will, God's word. He determines whether I go to a nightclub or not. I don't determine it myself. It's not I would decide whether I would go to church on Sundays or attend catechism or men's or women's club or youth club. My Savior determines that. And that, brothers and sisters, requires intense self-denying. You can't pray the third petition if you're not able to say no to yourself. Saying no to, your, to our own clever arguing, excuses, and so-called insights. It's not us telling Jesus Christ what to do, like Peter. But it's Him, our Savior, telling us how to live a life of gratitude, doing His Father's will. Paul puts it so beautifully in Romans 14, verse 7 and 8. He says, For none of us lives for Himself. And none of, no one dies for, to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, what, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And therefore, crucifying our own flesh requires that we are up to speed, up to date with God's will, with God's word. That we diligently explore it. To understand His will. This can sometimes be a bit of a struggle, as is evident in Peter's life. You know, when Peter rebuked Jesus, saying that the cross is not the purpose of His ministry, verse 22 of, uh, of, of Matthew 16, Jesus says, you're not doing my will. You're not submitting to Scripture. Jesus showed him that even, even as confessor of the church, when arguing man's wisdom, you can become demon-possessed, verse 23. Peter had to learn from Scripture to pray the third petition. The Apostle Paul had a similar experience. You know, in Philippians 3, which we read, he reflects on his past on how he discovered how to pray the third petition and, and, and do God's will. 
He was a fanatical Pharisee and thought he was doing God's will. But in verse 7 and 8, he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss or rubbish for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Yes, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. He has learned to pray the third petition, to discover the word, the living word, his Savior. And he knew that this would mean a heavy cross to be taken up. But he did it by the power of the Spirit. He did it joyfully. He knew that it was the Holy Spirit putting him in the right direction. And let's face it, brothers and sisters, this is true for all of us. Praying the third petition means sometimes to make a 180-degree turn in your life. Quitting your own way of thinking or acting or speaking without a, yes, but, is it easy? No. Is it necessary? Yes. Because we belong to Him as we confess in Lord's Day 1. He guarantees my life. He paid the ultimate price with His own life, with His own precious blood to save me. It's, it's hard. Yet it is an honor to be, to be one of His followers, to, to crucify our own desires, to follow Him without murmuring, with a joyful heart, with a praying heart. Praying, Lord, let your will be done in heaven, but also in my life here on earth. Please, Lord, teach me your will. Show me how I can take up my cross and follow you. Lead me in your truth and give me insight to understand what you want from me. In this dark world where your will is, is ignored by billions of people. Teach me to understand your law, to apply it, to apply it in, in an appropriate way in every aspect of my life. That is the third petition. You know, brothers and sisters, the wonderful thing is, is that the Lord hears our prayers. He doesn't want us to save our own lives, but to lose our lives for His sake. And if He listens to us when we pray the third petition... And therefore, it's, it's good that when we hear the preaching and we let our lives be guided by His good will, praying the third petition, that, that we also pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to, to deny ourselves. The question that we can take home today is, are we willing to lose the whole world in order to gain our soul? If the answer is yes, then we'll find salvation. But then also another dimension. Then, then we'll be also in good company, heavenly company. Because our Lord also mentioned the angels, those serving heavenly beings who will accompany him at his return, verse 27b. And this, this brings us to the third aspect, God's will and the angels.
brothers and sisters, how often do you think uh, about the angels uh, when, you, when you're at home or studying or, or at work? I know we are often so busy that we don't even have time to think about our own family and friends, let alone the angels in heaven. But how often do we realize that we have a calling and office next to them? Yes, different of nature and sphere. They perfect, we in a sinful world. But also, they to be his messengers to serve us, the elect. Us, children serving God and carrying our cross after Jesus Christ. But when it comes to the obedience of God's will, we are serving the same heavenly God. We're basically in the same camp. And this also relates to the diligence of our daily occupations, the way we, we do our homework, we clean our homes, we run our businesses, etc. I think often we, we see our, our daily work or occupation um, just as, as a career or as a job, you know. That's just what we have to do to make money and pay the bills. Whether you're fabricating cabinets or, or building roofs or cleaning a house or, or go to school or maintaining your, your garden as a pensioner, it, it, it may all feel like being just part of a day's work. Whatever the case may be, these are all part of our calling to serve the Lord, congregation. To, to do His will, just like the angels in heaven. And so when we, when we follow Christ, when we're doing God's will, when we take up our cross, um, it's not just us. We have the angels as our examples and colleagues. No, they don't take up their cross in the same way than ours. But we are working together. That's why we also read Belgian Confession article 12, because it calls them good. They do the will of God flawless. They have served Christ in all great moments of his ministry, at his birth, after his temptation by the devil, uh, after his struggle in Gethsemane, at his resurrection, at his ascension. And again, they don't have a, a to be across after Christ like us. Yet, both in Old and New Testament, they are called to obey His instructions and to serve the body of Christ, the church, and protect her against Satan and the fallen angels. They are here for us, says Hebrews 1 verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And through their obedience, they are before God to unceasingly glorify Him. We find so often recorded in Revelations. Even the, the cherubim overshadowing the mercy seat of God. The heavenly hosts are good, faithfully serving spirits before the throne of God 24 7. And they do so without murmuring. For they know that the Lord won't take long before returning with them to this earth. And so, brothers and sisters, our calling, our office, not only our threefold office in a sense, but our work, our daily task, home, school, wherever, they're all linked to this service. They're part of our prayer for the third petition, or the third petition. 
How can, can we, how can our children, um, how can we as, as children, as, as sons and daughters of, of the Lord, how can we stay behind the servants, the angels, in zeal and diligence? And, and let's be careful, brothers and sisters, not to say, oh, yeah, but due, due to our sinful nature, um, serving God as diligent and as faithful as, as the angels, that, that is an unattainable aim. I mean, it's too big. It's too hard to do God's will like the angels. How could we ever serve or be obedient as the heavenly hosts? And yet we pray the third petition. And it's Christ's purpose that we don't despair or give up. Because Christ also knows the relationship between heirs and servants in the house, in the kingdom of his Father. He knows who are the sons, the children, and who are the servants. And does he care about the servants? No, he cares about the children. We read in Hebrews 2.16. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abram. And therefore Christ came and obeyed God's will in order to impute his obedience, angelic-like obedience, to us. And he gave us his spirit, his renewing spirit. Didn't give it to the angels, gave it to us. And therefore Christ wants us to to pray for the return of the glory that was so beautifully clear in, in paradise. That's the purpose of the third petition. Lord, Adam and Eve, they were so faithful and obedient like the angels in, in, in the garden. Work with your spirit in us so that we will do the same. And so every time we pray the third petition congregation, the, the, the spirit draws us out of our misery of, of unwillingness to the heights of heavenly obedience. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing. He makes us pray for unceasingly angelic obedience because he knows that his spirit will work that in us. Only in this way we could do God's will according to his commandments. And yes, there are billions of thoughts and words and deeds every day objecting the kingdom of Christ and the will of the Father. Also in our lives. And and sadly, Enough, this, these circumstances will not change until the last day. And yet, yet we keep our hands open to God. And we fold our hands to pray that God's will be done in heaven by His servants, but also on earth by His sons, by you and me. And so, brothers and sisters, this calling and this prayer might, might be something completely irrelevant for for the billions of non-believers on this planet, the non-cross bearers, the non-followers. But to our Father, it is all part of the amazing, powerful completion of His Son's kingdom. And it's a miracle to those who will one day join the heavenly host in perfectly doing Father's will. Everyone who loved and followed Christ will share in His glory, not just temporarily, but forever. And so without Christ, there is no eternal life. Without a cross, there is no crown. So let us, 
follow Christ daily. Through the Spirit, cheerfully bear our cross, fighting our threefold enemy, and cleave to Him with true faith, firm hope, and ardent love. In this way, the Lord will hear our petition to His glory. Amen.